Live from 21 years ago, this is Doctor Who, Podshot. Post Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshop, episode 96. This is Lewis Trapani here, flying solo for this abbreviated episode of Doctor Who Podshop. I should explain that this episode, episode 96, is a studio episode that was um, actually um, cancelled originally. This was uh, supposed to be had recorded. Um, at the same time when, as many of you may recall, I had a death in my family and we had to um, postpone this um, episode. We were recording some live shows um, and studio shows alternating uh, week to week and uh, this one was, um, was, was canceled and we never really were able to reschedule it. So um, basically what I'm doing today is putting together a um, a, basically a filler episode, that, but the content is still valuable just the same. Uh, you may remember that last episode, episode 95, was a live episode recorded live on the internet of um, examining the William Hartnell error, uh, the first doctor. And the next episode, episode 97 of Dr. Upadshock, will uh, once again examine the second doctor, Patrick Troughton. So in honor of that, we're going to be um, um, going back in time to 1986 for a couple of Patrick Troughton interviews. Now, uh, the Gallifreyan Embassy did interview Patrick Troughton back in 1986. This is not that particular interview. That's still forthcoming for a future episode of Dr. Pachak, a little gem to look forward to. Uh, instead, we have um, a couple other interviews taking place during that same time. Special thanks goes out to uh, Jeff L. and Mohan, both from the Dr. Upachak forums that made these interviews possible. And um, without any further ado, step into the TARDIS and go back 21 years ago to 1986. And uh, this is Patrick Troughton. My name is Barb Shushuk. I'm talking with Patrick Troughton. How'd you do? How are you today? Oh, fine. Great. Patrick Troughton mm -hmm. has played the Doctor. Patrick, what exactly was it like to portray the Doctor? You mean originally? Originally. Right back. You're... This is going back 18 years. Right, originally. It was, um, well, it was quite a challenge, really, because I loved uh, watching Billy Hartnell, who was the first Doctor. And we watched it as a family, and uh, I don't think I missed one of their stories, one of his stories at all. So um, the first uh, thing was, first reaction was one of intense surprise at being asked, really. I was in Ireland doing a film about Bodicea and the Romans and all that, and um, the phone kept on ringing, saying they wanted me to play Doctor Who. And I thought, well, I don't know. I thought the, the show... You know, it had been going on a long time, it was pretty well played out. And that if I did it, it might last about six weeks, perhaps. And it's hardly worth doing, you know. So I kept on saying no, and they kept on saying please. 
and the money kept on going on. <laughs> so in the end, I said, well, it's silly, yes, all right, I'll play it, thinking, well, it might last six weeks or so. And um, of course, it lasted for 21 years. <laughs> I lasted for three years. I left after three because I think that's long enough. If you're a character actor, you've got to limit, you know, the so, time you do on any one part, otherwise you get stuck. Right, so you don't want but to be typecast. But luckily I'd been known as a character actor before I started uh, the Hulu, so it helped a bit. <clears throat> While you were uh, portraying the Doctor, were there any specific things you wanted to bring to the character yourself? I had no idea, first of all, no idea at all. Um, I started by thinking perhaps I'll black up and wear a turban so that I wiped <laughs> it all off. Nobody would know me. Uh, they didn't like that. And then I thought, well, perhaps a tough sea captain, Victorian sea captain of a windjammer or something like that. They thought that was horrible too. And um, Sidney Newman wanted me to play it, so like a, a cosmic hobo. Um, so that's what we did in the end. I, played it as a sort of Chaplin-esque character, though not, I hasten to add, in his class, but I, <laughs> that was what I had in mind. And I did it more in my head than the sort of tumbling about, you know, that he... Right. Uh, so he was a zany character, the sort of character that you wondered whether he really knew what he was doing. Uh, but in the end, you found that he did know what he was doing all the time, really. Or did you? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, hmm. were there any times when you felt that the location was difficult to work with, with filming? Any particular location, you mean, was hard work? Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing I don't like is heights, really. No heights? Um, no, I don't like climbing up heights. I get nostalgia. What about on the set? Were there any set problems? Like, uh, I've heard stories of sets falling apart while you're filming. No, not while I was filming, but we did um, the... Uh, did a thing called the uh, moon base, I think it's called, mm -hmm. the Cyberman, and there was a thing called a Gravitron, which in the end uh, disintegrated these poor old... No, that's right, it made them all fly off the moon because their <laughs> gravity <laughs> was broke down. The Gravitron kept them, kept people on the moon, I think. Um, and there it was in the studio, and I walked around uh, first thing in the morning, as I used to do, to have a look at all the sets, you know, mm -hmm. on the day we taped it. And there was this bloody great thing hanging from the season, from the ceiling, weighing about a ton. And I had a look at it, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's all right. And it was hung up by wires. <laughs> and I walked off the set, and there was a great crash, and it came down behind me. And I would have been flattened. I would have been here now. That exactly. Been my, mm. my. It was fortunate so it that got out. So that was an escape, yeah. Mm. Uh, in those days, we were... It was like weekly rep. We were on every Saturday of the year, except mm -hmm. for August, when we had a break. And we were filming most weekends as well. And so um, it was appallingly... Uh, the pressure was enormous. It was very hard work. And it, uh, once you were into the rhythm of it, then you could cope. In other words, if uh, you knew you were going to be called at 10 in the morning, and you've got time for your coffee, and you started rehearsal at quarter past ten, and you <laughs> finished at a certain time, you could do it, you know, you knew right. what you would say. Um, at that sort of pressure, after a couple of years of that, you get like a, either a very old person or a very young person. Routine is everything. You're safe as long as you keep to that routine. You right. know where you are. 
and you feel that anyone who breaks you, you just want to burst into tears because you're, you know, it's suddenly sort of broken the rhythm and you feel you can't cope anymore. And any director who suddenly decided, um, uh, we're going to rehearse a quarter past ten instead of ten, that was not on. <laughs> definitely not on. I can't remember. I remember there was one occasion when one director uh, did decide to change the schedule. And uh, I said, no way, I'm sorry, no, 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 I shall have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> but I can't remember his name, so um, I'm not on the spot about that one. So your time constraint really made it necessary for a schedule to be yes. adhered to? Halfway through, we decided, Fraser and I, and uh, this was Debbie in those days, Debbie Watling was playing Victoria, mm -hmm. that we couldn't cope with the filming at the weekends as well. Because you never had a time off, you know. Right. So we had a sit-down strike, <laughs> and we said, no way are we going to go on with this. We've got to uh, have our weekends free. This is about a year and a half into the three years we did. Mm -hmm. So luckily we had a wonderful bloke um, who was head of series, which is what we were, head of series, not series, called Sean Sutton, who I knew from way back. We were students together, actually, in dramatic school for war. And he was the head, and we got hold of him, and we said, look, we've got to change this. And of course it meant uh, dealing with the planners, the great planners, you know, in their offices with their cups <laughs> of tea and their little flags and their maps on the wall, knowing absolutely nothing about um, drama or television, but they know an awful lot about their little maps and their flags. <laughs> so um, he said, well, we'll have to cope with them, but he did. And um, in the end we got it arranged so that there would be a break of a week after each story of, say, four or five episodes, mm -hmm. each story had about four or five episodes, after that there was a break of a week when we filmed with the new director and the new cast. Um, so that we started the rehearsals for the next one, having done the filming and knowing who we were with and so on. And that worked like a dream. It meant we had our weekends off. Minute we could go on living, really. <laughs> right, so you had an, a private life besides at yes. that point. See, now what they do is... Uh, although the shows are longer, they have they only work about six months of the year, don't they? They they uh, they're only making about six months of the year. We were doing uh, every every Saturday for three years, mm -hmm. which was lovely. It was damn hard work, very hard work. But you enjoyed it all the same. Oh, I had a whale of time. Did you have a whale of a time? Did you have a chance to meet any fans while you were? No, no time at all. None. No time at all. So there was no way they could schedule you, say, for autographs with fans? No way. No way. There just wasn't time. I mean, you know, it was, you were on a treadmill like a squirrel. But now you've been out of it for a long while. Mm. We're in 21 years of Dr. Who. Yeah. And suddenly you're being asked to come out and meet the viewers and the audience. Yes, that's lovely. I like that. You really enjoy that? Yes, I like it. Um, I like it more over here because I don't want to become associated again too much with Doctor Who back in England because, you know, one's got a living to make and you've got to stare a versatile character actor. Right. And it does inhibit it a bit if you do too much. So I tend to try and keep a low profile over in England. But over here, where I don't work, obviously, normally, um, I'm quite happy to, um, you know, enjoy the fans with them to enjoy me and so on. Isn't it a little hard to keep a, hard, uh, a low profile when you're doing the five doctors and now you'll be with Colin for the two doctors? Well, it's a gap of uh, <laughs> over a year, which isn't too bad. Mm -hmm. 
one a year is manageable. One every two years would be ideal. Right. So I'm, uh, you know, um, I may not be asked to do another for five years, but um, I think two years is probably ideal. Then it just keeps it bubbling along, but uh, not you, too much. You have had such a variety of roles mm. outside of Doctor mm. Who. Do you have any particular favorites? Yes. You mean the ones I've done in the past, obviously. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or um, since. Um, well, I mean, yeah, not ones I'm thinking of in the future, that's what I mean. Right. No. Yes, um, the old Curiosity Shop, where I played Quilp the Dwarf, that was my favorite one, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and I played Gideon Sarn in Precious Bane. Uh, that was another high spot for me. And Alan Breck in Kidnapped, Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, that was. And recently the, um, oh, I played Paul of Tarsus, that's right, which was a lovely thing. Mm -hmm. The Life of St. Paul, uh, which Joy Harrington wrote and directed. That was lovely. That was all um, live television, all that lot, mm -hmm. but live. Um, since then, um, yes, there's been lots of things. I loved The Six Wives of Henry VIII, mm -hmm. which we did after the hoop. And we did a thing called Family at War, which I don't think you've seen over here, because I think um, some of it was in black and white, uh, owing to a strike at Granada Television. Yeah, they tend to and not release black and white here. black and white at the moment, anyway. Right. Um, so that's something that uh, perhaps you'll have for the future, which would be nice. Okay. That was a lovely thing. Oh, I've done lots of things. I can't, can't, um, you know, I'm lucky. I tend to stay in work, right. touch wood. So it's hard and to pick a favourite. it's very hard to pick out because I simply forget. Foxy Lady, yeah, that was the recent work of Granada, um, which was a thing about a little one-eyed newspaper up in the Pennines, where I played a grumpy old printer. <laughs> it was at loggerheads with all the, uh, all the reporters up above. That was fun. <laughs> um, and I, I turn up in all sort of things like Minder. I think you have Minder over here, do you? You're going to have anyway. And the Sweeney and that good. sort of thing, yes. Um, the Omen? Yes, in... Um, right, the Omen. Yeah, we've had yeah. Swallows and Amazons. Swallows and which you may get over here. That's a children's thing, which I did last year. This is Deborah Watson, and you are listening to Doctor Who Pod Shock. not as long as Podshock. It doesn't have remotely the same amount of in-depth interviews as the WhoCast. It's not even as full of spoilers as Outpost Gallifrey. In fact, it's just some bloke talking about the best show in the universe. The Tin Dog Podcast. Find it on iTunes.
No, the favourite one I've worked with. So, let's see, I've worked with uh, very, very well. I didn't w really work with Billy because uh, uh, in the three doctors because he was uh, not it, not well at the time, and he was just in a sort of bubble in a in a time loop, and they filmed him beforehand. Um, so I don't know what it was like to work with him, except of course that I did transmogrify from him in the first place, lying on the floor. But that, I didn't really have much contact with him there, except in the pub afterwards. Um, and the next one was John Pertwee. Well, yes, well, John and Paul Pertwee and I, we got a very good rapport, really. We hate each other. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we hate, hate each other in public. And um, as doctors, we hate each other. And, uh, you see, we're all different aspects of the same personality, of the same person. And uh, I'm not particularly fond of his personality in, uh, in the stories. <laughs> but we're the best of friends off stage. So that was fun. That all started on The Three Doctors, really. Um, it sort of built up a nice, uh, splendid antagonism. Ah, uh, then what was the next one? That was um, five doctors. That was well. I wasn't really with Peter much, um, although I'd worked with him in um, uh, all creatures great and small. Yes, and he's a lovely chap. He's marvellous. Uh, and then there was uh, who was I? I haven't worked with Tom at all because Tom didn't want to play in that and he was busy doing theatre or something. So I don't know about Tom at all, although we get on, all right, you know, in the brief times I've met him. Uh, and, of course, Colin, who is absolutely super. We, we, uh, Colin and I are on the same wavelength. We have a lot of sense of fun, you know. And uh, I enjoy working with him very much indeed. Yes? Tell us some of the practical jokes you and Fraser played. We never play practical jokes, ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, we never do, really. <laughs> Not mentionable ones, anyway. <laughs> oh, we occasionally uh, embarrass poor little Debbie Watling. If we, you know, we, on one occasion we were waiting to uh, make an entrance out of the TARDIS on the set, on the, on the taping and I looked at Fraser and Fraser looked at me and Debbie was between us and about five seconds before I cue we whipped her pants down and made our entrance <laughs> <coughs> so she came on sort of giggling and spluttering and <coughs> smoothing herself down a bit that was one of the things and uh, I used to sort of take I, had a hang I have a handkerchief you know in my pocket coloured handkerchief and I sometimes used to, on the rehearsals, not the actual show, because it would have meant we'd have to retake. <laughs> so I'd sometimes bring out unmentionable items out of my top <laughs> to wipe my brow instead of my handkerchief. That's all. Things like that we got up to, you know, all the time, really. Well, you got to do something in three years, you know, because we were on every Saturday and it was very hard work and uh, it relieved the monotony of it. Yes, yes. After so many years being away from Dr. Who, did you find it very hard or easy to fall back in the role of the doctor when the two doctors came around to 
it was easy. Uh, it was easier, this last one, the two doctors, mainly because I had Fraser with me. It would have been even better with the Wendy as well. That would have been lovely. Or Debbie. But uh, to have Fraser, it, uh, it is extraordinary. The years just fell away. Uh, looking at it, I'm a little slower and a little greyer. <laughs> but uh, um, it was lovely. It was, it was easier than in the two doctors. I mean in the three doctors and the five doctors because I wasn't with Fraser then. I was with uh, the brigadier and uh, old Pertwee, who I'd, of course, never been with before. Uh, no, with Fraser was uh, marvellous. He's going to be over for a convention, I think, in New Brunswick. May. The end of May, is it? I think we're all coming over. It's going to be a super one, yes. He's a marvellous chap, Fraser. I started acting with him when he was 12, in a thing called the Queen's Champion, a sort of... Uh, cloak and dagger thing, you know, swashbuckling. I used to do a lot of that before I got a bit uh, more lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that sword fighting and horse riding. Yeah. Do you watch your old programs? Uh, yes, I do. Um, it's very uh, useful for me now that there is... I've got one video. I've got the... Um, which one is it? Uh, the Seeds of Death. And to watch uh, me 20 years ago is, uh, is quite an education, really, because I'm that much quicker, you know, in the, in the, uh, mentally in the part. And um, it's very necessary if I'm going to do more of them. In fact, I really wish that uh, that one had been available before I'd uh, tackled the three or the two or the five, really. It would have been a great help. Because you, you can't... Can't resurrect it uh, ex exactly to that extent. It's very difficult. There are 17 Hartnell, William Hartnell stories in their entirety. Whether? Only six stories of yours in their entirety. Do you have any feelings on that? Um, eh? Oh, that have survived, you mean? Oh, I've got very good, very great feelings on that. Yes, I, I'm livid. <laughs> I'd love them all to have survived. It would have been wonderful. It's very sad, really. There are a whole lot of uh, bits and pieces of the other ones, but not complete. It would have been wonderful, but some idiot in the... Uh, <laughs> in some film library decided to mix them all up and burn them, I think. don't know why. It was just clearing the... The shells look a bit untidy, you know, and they thought, well, we'll put those in there and chuck those away. It was a mistake, really, I think. Terribly sad. But I believe there are whole lots all over the world which uh, fans are keeping close, which we hope one day will come to light. Yeah. Um, what would you say was your favorite story uh, to work with? The Mind Robber, I think. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yes. I think it was a very ingenious story. It was a very difficult one to do. It was, I had a lot to do in it. And uh, thrown in in the midst of a, uh, you know, very hard schedule. It was a lot to do, but it was worth it, as it turned out, although we grumbled a lot of the time, as you remember. Uh, but it was a very ingenious story, and it was very good. Yeah, one of the best ones ever heard. Really? What was that? I can't remember them. You have to remind me. It's 20 years ago, you know, for me. Remember them. I know we had some rather naughty things we used to do in that one. With there Miss Jones, wasn't it? It was 
Well, Emrys wasn't really the baddie. He was the victim of this horrible brain thing that was sucking all the thing out of him. Yes. Actually, no. I can't remember myself. It's been a while. No. I just know you've had some very funny lines. Yes, well, sometimes one did. It was a very weird thing altogether. We landed nowhere, which was very weird. And then out of this nowhere came these extraordinary sort of white robots going... It's very exciting. So... Oh. Is that all, then? Yes. Um, um, what would you say was your least favorite show to do? Uh, sorry. Of the doctors. Yeah. The least favorite one. Gosh. The least favorite. I can't really remember. You see, quite honestly, one was working at such a pitch. Uh, we had two and a half days rehearsal. And then we taped. And then the weekends we were filming. Every other weekend. And we were doing that every Saturday of the year, except August when we had a holiday. And so you didn't really uh, have time to say, this is a good one or this is a bad one. You know, you sort of, <coughs> you were in a, you were like a squirrel on a wheel. I think um, it's generally recognized that the Crotons wasn't particularly uh, a good story. Um, I think it was written, uh, it was shoved in to replace something as far as I mean. Fraser knows more about this than I do. He's always on about this and correcting me about it. <laughs> but um, I have a feeling that was thrown in a bit. And uh, although it's, uh, well, you can judge for yourselves when you see it. But um, I think the story itself was uh, a little weaker than some of them. But they vary. I mean, you can't go on writing... Uh, really good stuff forever. I mean, Billy's all varied and so on. It's impossible. This is a monster one has created and has to be fed nearly 24 hours of the day now, television. That was Patrick Troughton. He's a great person to see at a convention and I hope that whetted your appetite for the next episode of Doctor Who Podshock, number 97, which is a live show which we discuss the Patrick Troughton era and the second Doctor. So um, stay tuned for that. And also stay tuned for future episodes of Doctor Who Podshock, where we'll hear more from Patrick Troughton, including an interview I conducted with him. Um, once again, I do want to thank uh, Mohan and Jeff L. for making today's uh, clips possible and I realized today is a this episode of Dr. Dupachak is a an abbreviated show but rest assured we'll make up for it in episode 100 we are on the cusp of one of our 100th episode and it's jam-packed full of good stuff so it's probably going to be an extra long episode so um, you know you can kind of balance this shorter episode with that one and, and it comes out to you know balances out to be the same if you average them out. So um, stay tuned for that. If you still want to uh, submit a 100th episode greetings, uh, send in your audio recording and uh, get that in as soon as possible. And well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, come back next time. 
for another exciting episode of Doctor Who Podshock. Cheers, everyone. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run GallifreyEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Humanity, say goodbye.